0: Hello, and welcome to Right Care Baptist. Today, Henry and I will be talking to Carly Caruso about supply chain management in the COVID-19 era. Carly, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, how are y'all?
0: Doing great. So, Carly, I understand you are a nurse by background. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into supply chain?
1: so I've been a nurse for about 20 years and I managed a med surge unit at Baptist Memphis for about 10 of those years but the last several years I've been a manager of value analysis for our system here at corporate I love standardization projects I found that on my nursing unit that when we were able to standardize and be more cost-effective there was just opportunity abounds in standardization and cost savings opportunities where products were concerned and getting the right product for the right procedure or for the right cause and so that was something that I just did in my own little area and so when there became an opportunity to do this at a bigger scale across our system it was just something that I felt like this job was just made for me to mix all the analytical skills along with the clinical background
2: so I just I really love doing this. So Carly, you do value analysis and I and most of the most of the listeners will not understand what value analysis means. Tell me exactly what that means, and then we want to move into the how then you've been involved in COVID nineteen during the pandemic. But tell me a little bit about value analysis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I deal with all of our new product requests. Anything from won't say a new Band-Aid, but from a new Band-Aid to a new pacemaker, any type of new product, I work it through a project to our system service lines. So if it's a neuro product, it goes to system neuroservices. If it's something to do with cardiology, we take that to system CV. And so we get those subject matter experts based on what that product request is and review it down to cost analysis, down to randomized control trials about those products and where there's opportunity for cost savings, but then also if it's a cost increase, how we're able to justify that ROI on what clinical benefits we might see for a a cost increase on those products. And so that's one piece of value analysis is, you know, introduction of a new product or a new service, a new surgery, that type of thing. But then there's also just looking at opportunity where we can go back to our contracted vendors with more volume or standardization conversion opportunities to if I can get the talk clinical to our clinical group to say, hey, we've got product A and product B. If we go to product A, they're very clinically similar. If we can go there, we can save X number of dollars. Is this clinically acceptable? So we're able to to do that through our value analysis processes.
2: Thanks for explaining that to me, Carly. And let me ask you then, the pandemic and our supplies has been very stressful, uh, especially in the early days uh, discuss those early days if you don't mind and some of the challenges that that you and the and the supply chain value analysis team uh, dealt with in the early days of the pandemic.
1: Being the the clinical voice for supply chain, I was able to easily, in the midst of trying to quickly procure large amounts of PPE, assist with that process to get um, new products or additional products through um, different sources vetted or attempt to get vetted quickly through our clinical service lines or, or whatnot to make sure that we're getting the right thing at the right time. It definitely posed multiple challenges that we didn't deal with before the worldwide pandemic. I mean, we routinely contracted with American vendors that brought product in. And so we weren't worried about um, shipping costs, rate costs, things, bringing them from different countries and contracting through a lot of different methods that we're having to use now. That just didn't exist in our world before
2: what supplies specific then to, to, to the pandemic do you monitor on a daily basis and uh, then tell me a little bit about about then as you monitor those how do you how do you keep the, the shelves full if you will
1: right so of course we were an extremely lean facility before with just in-time arrivals through a distribution center so our storerooms weren't routinely busting at the seams. We only would keep a few days of inventory because we were so secured with our products pre-pandemic, but this of course with delayed and lengthening times for arrival of products and the variability of our usage has caused us to definitely keep more product on hand. We've had to work through um, different ways that we've been able to to track that data it hasn't been something that's been extremely important and before because we were routinely able to get things quickly so we have established a a way to pull inventory reports and utilization um, pull in the important data of our COVID positive patients and the COVID pending patients and see how that is reflective of how we're using the products. The main products that we're looking at early on were, um, of course, face masks, N95s, isolation gowns, and most recently, um, this was not an issue early on in the pandemic. But gloves, nitrile gloves have become a just due to multiple, multiple um, issues worldwide on where they're sourced and how and who's making them and how the pandemic has affected those areas have caused some major delays in shipping and availability of just basic nitrile exam gloves. So that's kind of a hot topic of late
0: can you talk a little bit about uh, where our supplies are coming from you mentioned some coming from the u.s earlier are we still getting the majority of our products through the u.s or are they coming from other parts of the world and and how is that affected by customs and, and all these other different uh, and shipping modalities that are out there how does that affect our supply chain
1: yeah so we've had a, a little of everything when it comes to trying to find the appropriate sources for products you know our major PPE manufacturers in the U.S., whether it's Cardinal or Halyard, Owens-Minor, or Medline, sourced a significant amount of their products from overseas anyway. But we didn't deal with the the overseas part necessarily because we were working with those stateside vendors. But due to their inability to be able to supply the, the massive increase in volume and, and usage that we need, we've had to go direct to sources outside of the U.S. in order to maintain an adequate
2: stock. Has the increase in um, lab turnaround times, we, we've seen this recently uh, just because of limitations on lab reagents, and se- et cetera. Has that affected your PPE utilization? And if so, how has it affected?
1: Yes, absolutely. That was kind of an unexpected time when we were going from shorter turnaround times to when we started experiencing delays based on how we were running our reports and trying to estimate usage, having that large spike and having it extended um, for those turnaround times because, of course, you're going to treat someone as if they were positive based on your PPE utilization until you know that they're negative or waiting for the result of that test.
0: So, we put out, you know, we've been showing to our staff that, that graph that you, you showed to the executive team that, you know, the green, yellow, red kind of graph on how we are supplied and we know green is good. But how do you know that, that green is good? What are you looking at to, to make sure that you know we're adequately supplied?
1: Right. So, behind the scenes from that, I mean, we've, Dylan Conrad is my senior analyst that deals with pulling all that information together and making that available for us but behind the scenes from that we're looking at the pipeline of the products in order to have the appropriate product arrive before our days of inventory is at a critical level so you know we're monitoring on how long we expect that inventory to last and will our next arrival of products come in by by that time
0: so one of the things that I've gotten emails and I've heard of others getting emails and calls from all sorts of different vendors. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the medical staff listening to this will have heard from vendors offering them to sell them PPE. How do you evaluate some of these new vendors that are popping up? How do, What can we tell the staff that may be looking at this? How do they know which sort of things should they be looking out for to make sure that they're not going out and buying a counterfeit or knockoff product uh, that is of low quality.
1: Right, so we do our um, absolute best to be able to vet these products appropriately by um, receiving samples to be able to touch and feel the product uh, ahead of time if possible. The actual specs and any type of approvals or testing that has uh, been um, performed early on we and most of our medical community <laughs> throughout America had some concerns with that that KN95 mask um, which was fit tested by China standards or by different country standards but doesn't meet the requirements that our OSHA guidelines do so I think multiple multiple facilities we're were burned by that one in the sense of that it was not what it came to be when we received that product. Being able to properly vet, but then vet the vendor, anything that we purchase, we have to go through a thorough vetting process on on the actual vendor, looking at their W-9s and I mean going through a whole laundry list of things before we're issuing any type of PO.
0: Right. And, and I know that you mentioned some of these government agencies that govern how we use Some of these supplies specifically though you know the CDC will put out different recommendations and everybody knows those recommendations on PPE have changed almost every month it seems like since the beginning of the pandemic how do those changes in recommendations affect what you all do on the supply chain side and I I know there's no way to necessarily anticipate perfectly what the demand will be based on that change but what do you all do to try to understand that better
1: yeah so being able to have secondary utilization processes, if something is approved for use today but not tomorrow and we have this product, what are we gonna what are we going to do with it or how how best could we utilize that appropriately, clinically? So you know, just trying to think through that, but I mean, I've always got several irons in the fire as far as when something like that happens. We recently within the last month had I guess 100,000 n 95 masks that were at a distribution center for our purchase that got intercepted by FEMA and so we had to quickly be able to figure out a way to um, make up for that product that we were expecting.
2: When you say you got interrupted by FEMA what does what does that mean? Carl?
1: We were going to get it and then we
2: weren't. <laughs> <laughs> so did FEMA does FEMA have the right then to Take product that would be coming to you otherwise, and put it back for their emergency stores or other distribution.
1: It ap- it appears so. Okay. That's that's what I have found.
0: Have you seen that in other instances uh, since the pandemic started, where maybe supplies were diverted more to those hotspots that were big around the country early on in the early days?
1: Yes, that definitely happened. As far as government product was being pushed in different areas, several of our facilities across the system received different allocations or different product based on how hot their spot was, you know, so where, how they were getting product or, or whatnot. And so being able to also vet those donated or even, you know, supplied products through through state authorities to make sure that we're using the right products for the right purpose and meeting all of our PPE guidelines.
2: So Carly, somewhere, sometime down the road, We may have a vaccine. And with approximately 19,000 employees alone and a little over 120,000 hospital visits and a little over 2 million clinic visits, are you starting to prepare a supply chain thinking around uh, potential vaccines?
1: Yeah, so we have got some strong partnerships with um, syringes and needle companies. We have reached out to them in anticipation of that in order to try to estimate what our utilization may or may not be. And so we're already actively um, pursuing those preparations for, for vaccine administration, being able to, but not only that, one thing about the pandemic, most of our contracted vendors begin to allocate product. They allocate it based on your historical volume. So pre-pandemic volume, which wasn't always, you know, is not as high as what it is currently. So, but working closely with our committed vendors to be able to increase those allocations where appropriate and for appropriate needs. So we've been able to do that through some um, strong um, contracted partnerships.
0: And what sort of uh, supplies specifically related to vaccines are we looking at uh, needing to get a firm handle on as far as the supply chain goes?
1: So syringes and needles, the anticipation is that we'll get a vial as opposed to a a pre-filled syringe the way that maybe um, the flu vaccine has come in the past. So being able to have ample supply of appropriate supplies for IM injections. Um, I know that our research has been involved a little in that and so we're in the just finding the exact products that we need in order to establish the the supply in anticipation of the vaccine.
2: So, Carly, anticipating, we hope not, but certainly some forecasting would predict that uh, the winter months may see a resurgence of, of COVID 19 tangled. Probably by uh, influenza. Are you thinking ahead? Are you stockpiling for the for the winter, or what's what's our thinking as we as we start um, now thinking about November, December, January?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are looking at that. We're pulling together some data based on some of these predictive models that Dr. Lancaster has um, displayed some of those predictive models of what we expect to happen in the next few months with COVID in these different areas, but then also looking at our own historical flu flu data and adding those numbers in based on some of the utilization of our PPE so that we can start establishing some longer-term agreements with some of these suppliers for these products us being able to give more of a commitment to them based on what our expected volumes are, therefore they can give us a better commitment of being able to supply the product. Because the days of those spot bulk buys, um, it's just not an efficient way to be able to keep our supply chain running the way that we need it to. Um, Having some more estimations to be smarter with how we're shipping and how we're receiving products is definitely where we're going.
2: So this has changed the whole just-in-time thinking methodology of of stocking and restocking, it seems. Is that is that the case, or am I misunderstanding?
1: Yes, absolutely. Everything that we're doing right now, I feel like we're going to have to undo at some point a year or two down the road, hopefully. You know, I started off this um, podcast with my passion for standardization and this introduction of several different methods and modes and vendors of several different products is just devastating to my standardization thoughts. But we're um, doing our best to keep, keep our products in and trying to um, make sure that the clinicians have what they need but also have a, a sense of grace to know that it's not always the, the most exact preferred product but we are getting the products in and so that is just something that i have been very pleased to work with an organization that's been able to put so much um dedication and and finances to make sure that their staff's protected
0: yep covid definitely has been a great disruptor and i would imagine the <laughs> supply chain budget has been completely disrupted so we talked a little bit about the struggles early on with the pandemic and supply chain do you feel like things are on a steady state now or what sort of challenges are you seeing now compared to early on
1: well there is a trickle-down effect of, of multiple multiple products so the things that we currently monitor and um, make sure that we have appropriate pipelines of there's just a, a trickle-down effect of we have weekly calls with our system materials managers to see kind of where some of our backorder situations are. It may be in those single use thermometers or it may be a certain viral filter that needs to be on every ventilator or anesthesia machine as, we, as different guidelines change. So when the guidelines change without you know a, a lot of notice to those vendors to be able to increase that production, we get into a backorder situation pretty quick and have to, to look at multiple vendors and resources in order to accomplish that new standard.
0: So, thank you so much, Carly, for, for being on the program. Can you just give us and give the audience a few key takeaways or future directions that you're looking forward to related to COVID-19 and supply chain?
1: Yeah, so definitely being able to get to a point where we are establishing a large enough days of inventory to where we can be thoroughly prepared for the next pandemic um, as far as from a supply chain perspective, being able to have all those necessary products at at our fingertips when needed.
2: Henry, do you have anything else to add for this episode? I don't. I don't. Thank you, Carly, so much for coming on today and, and talking with Jake, and maybe we thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for teaching us a lot about supply chain and some of the barriers and challenges that you deal with on a daily basis. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome.
2: All right. Thank you, everybody,
0: for listening to another episode of Right Care Baptist. Remember that if you go to the bottom of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, you will see the link to the show notes where you can take the survey to earn CME credit for this episode. Thank you so much and we'll be back next week.